Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I'll, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'll just uh, refer to it along the way for the sake of time tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I want to talk to you about, and this is a really exciting topic for all of you, church censures. I know you spent a lot of time thinking about church censors, what they are, and why they are important. And you might even be wondering, I don't even know what a censure is. Well, when I get done, you'll know what a church censure is. And I've been thinking about uh, this topic. Uh, John taught an excellent Sunday school lesson this morning on church membership and that, I, that recording should be up. If you weren't here, um, I would encourage you to, to go back and to listen to that as he set forth uh, a biblical case for the necessity of church membership and how we are all one body of Christ together. And I have been thinking about that over the last, oh, I don't know, year and a half or so. Um, I have had a court case against our presbytery in our church court. Our presbytery received the transfer of a pastor into our presbytery with some troubling theological views. And I will spare you the, the political details of how I think those shenanigans flew under the radar. But we, had a we have a mechanism in place in our church polity for something called a complaint. And so Travis did hours and hours of research, and the Presbytery met and discussed this issue together. We reached out and got some help within the Presbytery, and I filed a complaint against the Presbytery, and the Presbytery denied it. I was not very happy about that. So I carried the complaint to our higher court, to the General Assembly, to a court called the Standing Judicial Commission. It's kind of like the Supreme Court of our denomination. And I argued the case with a panel. And last month, I think it was last month, yeah, last month, the full body of the Standing Judicial Commission gathered together and ruled that I was right 20 to zero. So I was encouraged by that, um, encouraged that, uh, that the Presbytery will, will now need to do the right thing and that this, this pastor who transferred in will either need to change his theological views, he will either, uh, he could do that, he could uh, in good conscience leave the PCA could maintain his theological views and leave the PCA in good conscience, or he could maintain his theological views and be examined by the presbytery with the possibility that he would be charged for false theological views. And if he is charged for his views, he would stand trial in the court of our presbytery and potentially be censured, potentially be censured. And that's not something that I want to happen. 
Um, it's not something anyone wants to happen, but church censures are important. And I tell you that because church polity, church government, it works. God has ordained it. God has ordained it as a means of preserving and protecting the peace and purity of the church until Christ returns. So what are church censures and why do we need them? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and we will look at a case study of church discipline there in this passage. Paul writes to the Corinthians about a man caught in sexual sin. He is committing incest with his father's wife. And so Paul writes to them, we begin reading in verse 1, he talks about this, 1 Corinthians 5, 1, Paul says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you, that being the church, are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? They should be grieved by this sin. But instead, as we'll see, they're boasting about it. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. What Paul is writing to them, what he is wanting them to do in, uh, in their handling of this offending church member is to preserve and protect the peace and purity of the church. We read that this man's sin was public and notorious. They all know about it. It has been reported in the church, and not only is it known in the church, everybody knows it. As we'll see, you can look in verse 6, they're boasting about it. Um, this news has reached Paul wherever Paul is at this time. And so this sin has reached a level that it has become scandalous to this church. This man's sin, Paul says in verse 3, has already been condemned by Paul. Look at what he says here that Paul in verse 3 says, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So at some point, Paul whether in letter and writing to them, a letter that we don't have, or by his personal presence there in Corinth, he has become aware of the situation already, and he has already condemned it, Paul says. I've already passed judgment on this. And so you can imagine Paul's surprise that though Paul the apostle has passed judgment that this is wrong, the church has not done anything about it. And so now this sin has reached a place that it is beginning to infect. It is beginning to corrupt the purity of the church. Look at verse 6. Paul uses an analogy, a baking analogy of all things. Look at his baking analogy that he uses. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He, he's talking about baking bread. He's talking about yeast. Yeast that goes in to the bread, a little bit of yeast or a little bit of leaven, it will leaven that whole loaf. Just a little bit, Paul says, will do the trick. Just a little bit will do the job. And so what Paul is saying here is that this is what is happening with this man's sin. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If a little bit of leaven or a little bit of sin 
could corrupt and infect the church. What about a whole lot of leaven and a whole lot of sin, a public and notorious and scandalous sin? What is that doing to the church? And so Paul tells him in verse 7, what's he say? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So isn't it interesting, Paul speaks about this church in two ways. On the one hand, they are unleavened, separated as holy unto the Lord in service to him. That is true of this church. They are, in one sense, unleavened. They are holy unto the Lord. And yet, at the same time, Paul also says, there is yeast. The yeast of sin working its way through this church. Christ, he says, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's what's happening. A little leaven is leavening the whole lump. The approval of the sin was spreading. They are boasting about this. We get the idea that the church has approved of the incest that is taking place. And now the congregation, they view themselves in a positive, affirming way. They're saying, yeah, we know that Bob over here is committing incest, and we approve of it. We're a very open-minded church. It's hard to think of, isn't it? Furthermore, the church's witness is at stake. Paul says that they really are unleavened. They are set apart and holy unto the Lord. That is who they are. And now this sin is beginning to threaten their witness. And it is corrupting their worship. Look at what he says at the end of verse 8. That they are to enter into worship through Christ with sincerity and truth. And they are no longer able to do this because they have departed from the truth of God's word as it pertains to ethics and morality, and their worship is becoming insincere. So what is the church supposed to do with this man? Look at verse 5. Paul says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's a reference to the return of Christ, the day of judgment. So notice what Paul says. You are to put this man out of the church. And out of the church, he will be exposed to Satan. And his flesh will be destroyed. His sinful flesh, the leaven, that's going to be destroyed and you're to do this in the prayerful hope that his spirit on the day of judgment will be saved. And they are to do this publicly, by the way. They are to ex excommunicate this man when they gather together publicly. And they need to do this publicly because, as I've said, this sin is scandalous. It is public and it is notorious. What are church censures and why do we need them? Here's what a church censure is. A church censure is the infliction of discipline 
by elders after a member has been found guilty by the church court. Let me say that again. A church censure is the infliction of discipline by elders after a member has been found guilty by their respective church court. In our denomination, we make a distinction between public and notorious sins and personal and private sins. Most of the church discipline that happens in any church is done in private, behind closed doors, because most sins are personal and private. And the individual comes to the church court or the session or the presbytery, and they confess their sin, and it is dealt with at that point. But there are times when those sins become scandalous. There are times when those sins become front-page news. And these church censures are carried out in public. What are they? What are church censures? Number one is the censure of admonition or admonishing someone. This is a formal reproof by the church court warning that person of their guilt and danger and exhorting them to be watchful. So in this case, in Paul's case, in 1 Corinthians 5, it sounds like this man has already been admonished. Paul says, I've already passed judgment on this. I have already dealt with this sin issue with this man. And so this man has already been, it's likely, he's already been admonished by Paul. There's another kind of church censure called a suspension. What is a suspension? A suspension is a a, a suspension from the sacraments, excluding someone from the Lord's table, and it is always indefinite. It's always indefinite. And the reason it's always indefinite is because what the church court is looking to do, looking to see is, is this person demonstrating fruit in keeping with repentance? And as soon as the church court has a sense that the person is repentant, Guess what happens? The suspension is lifted, and they are welcomed at the Lord's table again. The most severe censure is the censure of excommunication, and we see it described here. Excommunication is the, it's described as the excision. Notice it's like a surgical term, right? The excision of an offender from the communion of the church the excision of the offender from the communion of the church. This censure is to be inflicted only on an account of gross crime or heresy and when the offender shows himself, in a sense, completely unrepentant. And so that's what we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul is saying, you need to excommunicate this man. You need to excommunicate him because he is unrepentant. Why are these censures necessary? I'll tell you why. It is better to be censured in the present than it is to be judged in the future. Let me say that again. It is better to be censured in the present than it is to be judged in the future. I'm going to tell you a story. During my internship, 
in Fort Walton Beach, one of the fathers of the church was talking to him, and he said in a low, deep voice, he's, he's a southern man, he's kind of country, and he says, need you to be praying for my boys. And I said, oh, well, what can I be praying about? He goes, ugh, those knuckleheads. I said, what happened? He said, they went to a strip club. I said, really? He said, yep. And now they're meeting with the session. (laughs) At some point, these two boys went out of town, these two brothers, commuting members of the church, young men, 18, 20 years old, I don't know their age, but they were young. They went to a strip club, and the session of the church found out. Now, I didn't know anything about this. Even though I was an intern, even though I sat in the session meetings, I was not included in those meetings, and it was my understanding that those boys confessed their sin to the session, and the session suspended them from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And then the elders, a couple of the elders, came to them in love and walked them through a period of restoration, discipling them and helping them gain victory over that area of sin in their life that this one instance was but a symptom of. And it's my understanding that those boys were restored back into the fellowship, members in good standing with the church, and I actually believe they're married today. What a service that session and that church did for those young men, helping them at that moment in their life, disciplining them so that their future, the course of their future would be better set and that they could learn from their sin. What's the purpose of church censures? It is for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren. That's the whole purpose. What's the whole purpose of a church censure? It is to reclaim and to regain that person into the fellowship of the church. Additionally, it is to deter other people from sin. What happens in a church like in Corinth when everyone finds out, well, you can apparently take your father's wife as your wife and the church won't do anything about it. It can spread. Sin can spread. Therefore, church censures purge out the leaven that might infect the whole lump. Think about a false teaching that could take place in the church. Think about if there was a false teaching and the session of this church did not step in to stop the false teaching or challenge the person teaching that false teaching, what would happen? The false teaching could spread through the whole church. Could happen. It's happened to many churches before. Church censures are for vindicating the honor of Christ. The honor of Christ is at stake, right? The church is the bride of Christ, and we want to do all things to the glory and the honor of God. Additionally, it is the church's, it's for the church's holy profession 
of the gospel. Isn't this the criticism of the culture about the church? That the church is corrupt and full of greedy pastors and scoundrels and people who will stab you behind your back. And church discipline and church censures are there for the church's holy profession of the gospel. And lastly, our book of church or or our confession says that church censors prevent the wrath of God upon the church. What happens when a church becomes so corrupt? What happens when a church refuses to discipline sin in the church and it spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads? Eventually, that church is no longer a church. That church has become, as our confession says, a synagogue of Satan. And God brings down his wrath and righteous justice upon that church. So it is right and important that church courts carry out church discipline in humility and love, including the infliction of church censures, even when it's hard work to do. Wonder what happened to that man in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, we think about this man. He says, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, Paul writes. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. By all indications, this man, caught in sexual sin, the excommunication worked. And he came back brokenhearted and filled with sorrow And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, receive him back and reaffirm your love for that brother. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your government that is exercised through the courts of your church. It is humbling. We oftentimes, as elders in your church, lack wisdom. But we thank you that in a multitude of counselors that there is wisdom. And so we thank you for the plurality of elders that govern your church, not only in our local churches, but in our presbytery, as well as in our general assembly. Lord, we pray that you would preserve and protect the peace and purity of our church here. Guard us from sin. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.